Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, this is David Feingold, the president of Chatham University, and your host for the Future of Higher Education podcast on the New Books Network. Today, as Monty Python would say, it's time for something completely different. Instead of me interviewing a transformational leader in higher education, I'm going to be interviewed by Brad Johnson, who is the host of the Plexus podcast. Plexus is an educational uh, technology company that works with over 6 million high school students and, uh, and younger students to help them prepare for college. Um, I have a chance for a short but really uh, fun conversation with Brad, and I hope you'll enjoy it. Welcome, everybody, to the Plexus podcast series. I am so happy to have President David Feingold from Chatham University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. President Feingold, how are you today? I'm doing really well, Brad. It's great to be with you. Excellent, excellent. So do you do you own a terrible towel? Oh, absolutely. Can't be a president in Pittsburgh without one. I got, got my set of black and gold uh, wardrobe and uh, definitely have a few towels to be waving, and we hope we'll have an occasion to do it in the not-too-distant future. Well, excellent. Yeah, my uh, my wife, I, I knew she was a keeper when she purchased tickets to the to Heinz Field and the Brown Steelers game when uh, Roethlisberger was a uh, a rookie. So um, my 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 buddies at the time, they said, well, you can't don't let her go. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And credit to her getting tickets. That's when you move here, you realize that's one of the, the hardest uh, ones to secure in town. So obviously she was committed to the relationship and, and, and we're, we're definitely hoping for better days. Amazing Ben's still going and, and we want to get all we can while, while he's still playing. Without a doubt. Well, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about uh, your background. Um, I know you have an extensive background and maybe you can just talk a little bit about about that and and talk to me why education uh why why are you passionate about education and and you know what what led you down the the career path well well i've i've spent my whole life in education first as a student um and then when i decided uh you know i had never been out of the states and i got i was fortunate to get a Rhodes scholarship so that took me to england and when I got there, um, I was really uh, intrigued by what seemed to me a perplexing problem. At that time, more than half of young people were leaving school at 16 and not getting any further qualifications, and only just over 10% were going to university. And so I, I asked why that was the case, and the, the prevailing academic explanation at the time was that it was a working class issue. And that just seemed wrong to me coming from the states where we place such a high emphasis on education as the way for 
individuals and families to succeed. And so I developed a, a, a different theory called the low skill equilibrium that said people are re- the young people are responding rationally to the incentives in the system. And if we change those, we could change behavior. And the really fun thing was I got a chance to implement those ideas working with the Thatcher government and then the labor government. All of the key institutions changed in a short time. And today, a generation later, Britain is generating more people get young people getting a degree as a percent of the population than the high than the US so a really dramatic change in a short period of time and so that experience convinced me that I wanted to spend my life in education teaching doing research and and really trying to trying to cha- transform people's lives through education so when we talk about education we also talk about lifelong learning and what does lifelong learning mean to you, and, and how do you promote, encourage, and motivate students uh, of all ages to be, become and, and stay, remain lifelong learners? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about lifelong learning for, for, for quite a while, but, but I think that it's, it's more salient now than ever. The degree of change we're seeing in the labor market, particularly with things like artificial intelligence and robotics is really disrupting one profession, one set of jobs after another. So I wouldn't trust anyone who tells you they know what the labor market's going to look like in 10 or 20 years. So the best thing that we can do is prepare young people to be lifelong learners, prepare them to be critical thinkers, to be discerning consumers of information, to be able to solve real-world problems, to be able to work in cross-cultural teams. And those are all the things that a, a liberal arts education that an institution like Chatham provides everyone. The other way I think of lifelong learning is, is in terms of multi-generational learning. So if you look at our society today, you say, what group is the has the most time, interest, and resources for education and is the least well-served, I would argue it's those who are over 55. And, and up till now, most of what we offer to that group is mostly education for leisure, you know, taking courses that, 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 that they simply like for their own development. And that's great. But I think we're going to need to think much more systematically about that um, and how we provide it. More than half of all those who are retiring don't have enough savings for the what's their expected life expectancy. And even those who do have the money, a lot of them are not ready to stop working entirely, but they want to rethink what they do. They may have made a lot of money, but now they want to make a positive impact. And so I think adapting that, serving multi-generational learning can benefit those individuals and also our younger students by encouraging cross-generational learning. And so marketing and recruiting and supporting student success when it comes to an adult learner versus a traditional on-campus student that may have simply may have graduated high school a year ago. Talk to me about the differences. Yeah, I mean, I think it's vital to recognize that the needs of the adult learner are, are pretty significantly different than those coming straight from high school. So with Chatham, we started this back in the in the 60s and 70s when we launched the, the Gateway program. We were an all-women's institution at that time. And, and what we realized was a lot of women had stopped out of getting a degree in order to get married or for other life reasons. And so we created a program designed specifically for them to encourage them to come back, get their degree, be able to relaunch their careers. 
these days, a lot of that kind of learning happens through online and hybrid learning. And so we were an early mover in that space as well. If you look at our health science degrees, we have one of the larger doctor of nursing practice degrees in the country. We have an online occupational therapy doctorate. And those were designed right from the start for adult learners. So we knew these people had demanding jobs. They had family responsibilities, personal responsibilities. And so we wanted a degree where every course in the degree led up to the final capstone project, no wasted time, building a great cohort virtually. And the sign that's working is all of those students, they're recommending their friends, their family and colleagues to go. And so two thirds of our students come through referrals. So I think that's the biggest sign you have that you have a degree that's working for the needs of those working adults. Well, it it also allows you to be very competitive in a very saturated marketplace. Um, And Maybe we can talk a little bit about that. I know when, when I ask the question around competition, oftentimes the word collaboration is used as well. So you have a very vibrant city in Pittsburgh, especially very, very conducive to college students. Talk to me a little bit about the other universities and partnerships that you have, as well as corporation, uh, corporate partnerships. Absolutely. And, and you know, one of the five key pillars of our strategic plan, which we're just in the process of renewing, is strategic partnerships. And I think of those in, in all forms, um, but I think they're particularly vital for a smaller institution like Chatham. So we have about 2,400 students, 50% grad, 50% undergrad. And, and so to offer the range of degrees we do, we really want to leverage partnerships. So I think Pittsburgh is the best college city in the U.S., not just because we have 11 colleges and universities all located within the city, 80,000 students all sharing a, a great college city, but because a student at Chatham in a small liberal arts environment can take any courses they want for free at Carnegie Mellon or Pitt or the other colleges and universities in the area. And so those are only a couple of minutes away from us. And so to have that range of courses and for students to be able to move back and forth freely is a huge asset and not one I see in other big college cities like Boston or Philadelphia or, or others. I also think corporate partnerships are vital. So so we've used those to find internships, find good jobs for our graduates, but also to shape the future degrees and certificates that we're building. So we recently launched degrees in data analytics, in healthcare informatics, in immersive media, which is virtual and augmented reality, in neuroscience. And for all of those, we want to work with employers to understand not just what do students need today, but what are you looking for 10 years out that we want to be preparing students for? And then the other kind of partnerships that I think are really vital are community partnerships. We've got huge racial and economic inequities here in Pittsburgh, and Chatham happens to be located right where uh, you see the meeting of some of the wealthiest and some of the hardest hit neighborhoods in Pittsburgh. And so we're working with community partners to on what are their problems and how can our students and faculty work together to help solve them that not only benefit them, but benefit our students in really getting hands-on skills. So how, how has uh, COVID-19 changed your day-to-day, and how did Chatham react? Well, I think Chatham and, and all of higher ed uh, did remarkably well. Higher ed often gets criticized for being too slow, too bureaucratic. But in a matter of just days, with this global pandemic hitting, we pivoted, as did all of our other uh, higher ed partners, to move to a virtual environment to keep our students safe. And we were cooperating with 
those uh, college, university, and public health and and government partners on a weekly basis. So we had a regular 7 a.m. call with the, the heads of our county health authority, with our county executive and the university presidents. We were sharing information, sharing testing resources uh, as the vaccine came, figuring out how we were going to get that distributed. And so it's been a really great partnership. And I think Pittsburgh came through it better than any big college city in the country. None of our institutions closed during the pandemic. We all had students on campus. We all delivered both both virtually and in person. We didn't have one major outbreak. Yeah, we had cases, but we contact traced them all. And we're really excited about this coming term. We've got our biggest ever class up 20% over our biggest prior class coming. And I think that's a testament to people see you've managed this well, you're offering a safe learning environment and a really rich and vibrant one as well. When we look at student success, yeah, you've touched upon a number of elements and, and maybe some elements as, as to how to define student success. Um, at, at, with your experience as a faculty member and as administrator, how do you define student success? Well, we, in our strategic plan, we put students right at the center. We said we want to be a university that is student-centered, and we have to define and measure our outcomes based on student success. That's how we know we're succeeding. And so we look at retention rates. We look at graduation rates. We look at what percent of our grads have a job in the career, in the occupation that they were focused on six within six months of graduating. And we're delighted at those results. 96% of our undergrads, 98% of our grad students have a job or continuing in education right after they finish at Chatham. And so that's a real sign of building those strong connections. But it's not just about labor market outcomes. I think ultimately, when I talk with our alums and I say, you know, what do you remember most? What was most impactful for you about your Chatham education? What they say is it transformed who they were as a person. Who they were and the life they led was dramatically different because they'd been at Chatham. And one example they use of that is we we had something called the arts course. This was a, a, a two-year-long sequence where students would go out into all of the rich cultural institutions of Pittsburgh, to the opera, to the ballet, to the symphony, as well as to the art museums and other things. And then they'd have to come back and discuss what they saw and write about it. And a lot of the students said at the time they complained. You know, they they were being forced to do this. They didn't necessarily want to do it. But when they look back 20, 30, 50 years after and they say, what do they remember most about the Chatham education? They said that changed their lives. A lot of them had never been to those types of performances before or to those museums. And it made them a richer person. It made them a better citizen. And so so they you know, students may not always tell you at the time exactly the thing that is most impactful, but but that's how I think you really measure it. So if you could uh, narrow down the number of decisions you're making every day, what's one decision that has got you really, really excited? Well, yeah, it's tough because, you know, <laughs> being, a, being a college president these days, there, there there are so many different things that are coming up that you're dealing with each week. So, you know, as we, we've Chatham, we've made an all-in commitment around sustainability, right? We, we, our most famous alum is Rachel Carson. Um, we, uh, um, 
you know, we have a whole campus and school devoted to sustainability. We're among the top ranked universities in the world on the most comprehensive measure of how universities approach it. And so just before I was on with you, I was on a great call with uh, uh, the University of Strathclyde, which is in Glasgow, and the head of the Glasgow um, City Council, and with Grant Irvin, who's in charge of sustainability and resilience for the city of Pittsburgh. As you may know, the uh, UN is having their next climate change summit, like the one that set the Global Climate Accords in Paris. They're having that in Glasgow in November. Well, Glasgow happens to be a twin city of Pittsburgh. And so when I think about what's most exciting on my agenda, this is most recent, but it's also the one where if I think about lasting legacy, what is the most important thing I could do as president of Chatham? It is developing a next generation of Rachel Carson's. You know, the planet, unfortunately, my generation, your generation, what we're turning over to this new generation of students is is you know, I think it's a travesty. I think we, we, we've taken the, the amazing resources we had at a planet. And if we don't dramatically change course in the next 20 years, sooner if we possibly can, what, what we always premised on education, that, the, the, that our children were going to have a better lives than we had, that's already started to stop in the U.S. But you just need to look at 115 degrees in Portland. They don't even have air conditioning there right? You know, we, we are literally destroying our planet, but we have a youth generation that is passionate about solving this problem. If we can work together with cities around the world, with governments around the world, I still believe we can do it. And the future we could have, if it's net zero, if we have healthy local food systems, wouldn't just solve this problem, but it could give a much more positive life for everybody. And so I think to me, that when I think of all of the things, that's the one I, I'm most passionate about. Well, excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This was an excellent podcast. Uh, I really greatly appreciate your time and all the best of luck to you and Chatham University. Brad, it's, it's wonderful talking to you. I'd lo love to do it more in the future. I, I know we didn't have that much time today, but but it's great talking to you. And thanks for doing this, because I think it's really important to get this uh, sharing of knowledge out to folks and really appreciate the work you're doing at Plexus to, to help people prepare for college, make the right choice, um, and, and, and you know have a great outcome. Well, that's great. And hey, take a look at some of those dates over the summer and let me know when you're available and I'd be happy to, to come out to Pittsburgh and see you. Yeah, we'd love to show you Chatham. That's great. Excellent. Thanks. All right. Hey, thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye.